All right, welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. As always, we are lacking a plan and we are trusting the flow of what is to come. The card for today from the Osho Zen Tarot deck is Creativity. From the alchemy of fire and water below to the divine light entering from above, the figure in this card is literally possessed by the creative force. Really, the experience of creativity is an entry into the mysterious. Technique, expertise, and knowledge are just tools. The key is to abandon oneself to the energy that fuels the birth of all things. This energy has no form or structure, yet all the forms and structures come out of it. It makes no difference what particular form your creativity takes. It can be painting or singing, planting a garden, or making a meal. The important thing is to be open to what wants to be expressed through you. Remember that we don't possess our creations. They do not belong to us. True creativity arises from a union with the divine, with the mystical, and the unknowable. Then it is both a joy for the creator and a blessing to others. Creativity is the quality that you bring to the activity that you are doing. It is an attitude and inner approach, how you look at things. Not everybody can be a painter, and there is no need also. If everybody were a painter, the world would be very ugly. It would be very difficult to live in. And not everybody can be a dancer, and there is no need. But everybody can be creative. Whatsoever you do, if you do it joyfully, if you do it lovingly, if your act of doing is not purely economical, then it is creative. If you have something growing out of within you, it gives you growth. It is spiritual, creative, it is divine. You become more divine as you become more creative. All the religions of the world have said God is the creator. I don't know whether he is the creator or not. But one thing I know, the more creative you become, the more godly you become. When your creativity comes to a climax, when your whole life becomes creative, you live in God. So he must be the creator because people who have been creative have been closest to him. Love what you do. Be meditative while you are doing it, whatsoever it is. I like this card a lot. Uh, one thing that always stands out to me is the idea that the more creative you become, the more godly you become. When your whole life becomes creative, you live in God. I think that it's a very easy thing for us to get caught up into the idea that creativity has to look a certain way, it has to be a certain thing, it has to fit a certain format, a certain art style. You know, unless you are a rock star or a famous painter, you are not creative enough. And it's a interesting thing to reflect upon if anyone out there can consider themselves an artist. In the shamanic traditions, there's no such thing as an artist specifically because they say that everybody is an artist. They say that everybody is participating constantly in an expression of art. So for just one person to be labeled an artist or for one person to um, identify as just that would be sort of silly. Uh, 
And it can be quite confusing because what happens, I think, a lot of times is that we get caught up in this idea that we become very attached to a specific art form and that we love and that moves us and that connects us to something special. For me personally, for a long time, it was music. Prior to that, I would say it was writing. And what happens is that we suddenly become mechanically engaged on some level just from the sheer act and thought that this is our art form. I saw an article one time recently where Bob Dylan was taking on metal <laughs> sculpture. And I think that that is the sign of a true artist or a true creative person is that they're not limiting, them, limiting themselves to one single or specific creative act or expression. And at the same time, also, I think that it's important to recognize that uh, art and creativity does not necessarily need to go into these traditional styles, sculpture, painting, music, writing, it can come, as the card said, in the form of a meal. It can come in the form of a podcast. It can come in the form of a discussion. Every moment, once we, I think, tap into a certain level of understanding of our connection with life, can become a opportunity to turn ordinary reality into something more reflective of the divine place within ourselves. Or whatever it is that you want to express, because maybe you don't want to express something spiritual and divine. Maybe there's just something crazy you want to express. And I was watching a video actually last week, a very short video of David Bowie talking. And he was saying that to be an artist, you have to be a little... What was the word? I don't recall the word, but basically you have to be some somewhat fragmented. You have to be somewhat deranged disturbed <laughs> and he was speaking at least in the context of in this is an interview i think from the 80s or the 90s and he was talking about you know within the context of the cultural bubble that he's living in at that time even if that was a global bubble he's still living in some form of a, a reality tunnel of his and you know when you're living in environments that are commercialized corporatized politicized, homogenized, other forms of eyesed. <laughs> when you're living in culture that is all about conformity and constriction and rules and regulations and not rocking the boat and playing things safe and staying within the herd and hiding individuality, hiding aspects of yourselves that might be ashamed of, to be someone that wants to express what's inside. Why well, would even take a step back? Not someone that wants to express, because on some level, I think all of us want to do that. I think that when we don't do it, it comes out in very perverted ways. I.e., look at Hitler. It would have been, it was much more difficult for him to paint a, a, a picture of a goose than it was to try and take over the entire planet. You know. <laughs> point is that all of us want to express something inside and our failure to do so can lead us in all kinds of perverted directions. Hitler being a perfect example of that being that he originally wanted just to be an artist. 
but when you actually take the steps initiating yourself into I'm going to just express what's inside of me that is a frightening thing to do the environment even if you live in there's something about every environment I would say and even you know maybe Burning Man you could say perhaps is an exception but I'm sure there's even plenty of pockets within Burning Man that you'd find the same situation where oh no don't say that oh no don't do that oh no don't do that (laughs) on some level I mean that's like the you know that's probably an over-exaggeration. I think at Burning Man, you could pretty much get away with virtually anything so long as it's within the confines of not hurting anyone. But, uh, you know, when outside of those, you know, constructed places for creativity, there are plenty of places that we all live in where uh, certain forms of expression, certain forms of creativity certain feelings, certain thoughts, emotions, ideas, they're just not welcome. Nobody wants to hear that. It's too taboo. It contradicts someone's religious perspective. It contradicts someone's rose-colored glasses perspective as to how the world is. It's too controversial. And to express things from that place inside from a place of transparency and honesty and not necessarily try to keep it really clean because I don't think that's what art is about. Art isn't about, you know, always just sharing, here is my beautiful, heavenly, divine nature. (laughs) I think there's, oftentimes there's moments where just abrupt anger and abrasion and angst and pain and those things you know, because those are equally valid aspects of the human experience, and to just deny those things and to cut those out would be um, a disservice towards the authenticity of our lives. So, to, to take the steps, not just to want to express oneself, but to take the steps to actually begin doing it, is requires on some level to be a distorted and deranged person, according to David Bowie in the interview I saw from the, either the 80s or the 90s. <laughs> and I think regardless of what time period you're in, and even regardless in what, of what culture you're a part of, that there is something true to that statement. And when we say deranged, what it means is that it brings you to a place where you he's not saying you're deranged as if there's something fundamentally in the essence wrong with you because we can never know fundamentally in the essence what a person should be like or shouldn't be like or how they should feel or they shouldn't feel because the only uh, context we have for all these things is our, our relative relationships with other people. We understand we know one person is crazy because everyone else behaves the other way. Okay, that person's crazy. How do you know? Well, no, no one else is doing that. You know, it's not like if there was only if there was only that one guy on Earth. You know, that would just be like, oh, okay, that's just how human beings behave, and there's nothing, there's no outlier there. But you know, we we understand what things are to the relative of what they're not. So I think what David Bowie is simply saying is that the majority of us want to just hide in conformity, and we want to hide in our mask, and we want to hide in normalcy. And to take the steps of expressing what's inside of ourselves is immediately 
fragmenting us from that collective normalcy, which leads us to looking and appearing and behaving perhaps even a little quote-unquote deranged, which, as we say, is not deranged in its fundamental essence, but deranged in perspective towards normal people. <laughs> so, you know, and at the same time, the card here is, I think, talking about something about how to bring life into the world. And, you know, Joseph Campbell said something along the lines that the, uh, the goal is not to find meaning to life, but it is to find the, what makes you feel alive, you know, to bring aliveness to your existence not to find the meaning the meaning is too much of a concept but to experience the actual rapture of being alive and the thing about you know rapture and ecstasy is that these experiences these qualities of bliss are fundamentally oftentimes at odds with the collective whole because in in a lot of sense to be functioning in a collective, normal, complacency, conformity, uh, hierarchy, in order for that to be the case, if you are just blissed out and enraptured with the isness, the essence of life, you know, the nectar of your being, whatever you want to call it, if you're in that place, then, you know, someone trying to shame you for not wearing a tie <laughs> might not be as effective. <laughs> and like, you know, this is, this is a lot of what I, I think that the counterculture of the sixties was uh, caught up in. And, you know, this is, um, this is something that we still experience in at least American society in the present day where, things you know the, the country has been walmartized however you want to call it corporatized mcdonald mcdonaldization of society and that's something that yeah okay but there's the buildings and everything but like there's a there's a consciousness and a mentality about this standardization corporatization and whitewashing of us and our and everything around us that has taken center hold in you know, while it can be reflected in just the uh, in the 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 way we shop, it it's also reflected in in how we experience life. Um, and that's not to say that it's limited to that, but the environment we find ourselves in is oftentimes largely reflective of of the state of consciousness that we are engaged in and while individually we might have a state of consciousness that's extreme extremely profound and unique when you look at the collective space you know uh, we can't even have a female president or a christian a non-christian president and everything is at walmart and <laughs> i mean this is getting in, into politics but the, the point is that there's to break off from the norm to be unique and to be transparent about what is inside of you is still something that is profoundly difficult 
It's not something that just happened in the 60s. It's something that's happening now. And so this is, you know, this thing Joseph Campbell talked about. He came across the phrase Sat Chit Ananda, being bliss and consciousness. And uh the idea is that, you know, he said it's, I don't know what being is, I don't know what consciousness is, but bliss, I can hold on to that. So, you know, find, connect the thing that brings you rapture, that brings you into a place of replenishment, ah, of the spirit and connection. Follow your bliss. The universe will open doors. Before there were only walls, is what's said. So this is what's what's needed. And what I like about this card is that what it's trying to encourage us is that it doesn't have to be one thing. It's it's not an activity. It's saying here is that it's the quality that you bring to the activity that you're doing. It's an attitude and an inner approach. It's how you look at things. That's the first statement. Then it says not everybody can be a painter. And there's no need. If everybody were painter, the world would be ugly, which is ironic because painters make everything beautiful. But the idea here is that what we're trying to get at is the quality and our inner attitude and approach. And the idea here is that more than anything else, creativity is, an, is a spirit that we embody within ourselves. And we, I personally myself have found many moments of things with music, for instance, where I've gotten very attached to um, one form of creativity, one form of that bliss, of that rapture. And then finding periods where it's no longer doing that for me like it used to and then there's this deadening and a decay you know wasteland type situation we're talking these are these are themes we've been talking about here in the past four pot three now fourth podcast and this is why this card is very helpful because it's asking us to connect to the spirit of the inner attitude of creativity and not get attached to the external appearance of what appears to be creative creative uh if you ever watch the film uh exit through the gift shop about uh that banksy put on uh, i don't recall the name of the, the character but the guy basically creates all this art they suspect he has some kind of a mental illness or something where he, he basically forages and copies and plagiarizes on many levels and becomes super famous and very wealthy doing it it's extremely funny and outlandish and what happens is that people are like, oh, this art, look how wonderful it is. But is that person on any level embodying the inner attitude, the inner approach, the spirit of creativity? No, absolutely not. It's completely superficial. It's copying. It's plagiarized. It's substanceless. It's crap. <laughs> and this is what we easily can get caught into. And this is why we're talking about the commercialization and corporatization is that even food? No, that's not food. That's just plastic that looks like a cheeseburger. And a cheeseburger, for the record, is not even food. <laughs> when did eating, you know, what constitutes food, right? You know, <laughs> I personally am a vegan. That's, you know, some of that's why I said that. But the idea here is that we can get caught up in what looks like art, what looks like creative expression, what looks like fine dining, <laughs> what looks like a loving family, what looks like friendship, what looks like real communication, what looks like a connection to God, what looks like spirituality, 
you know, all these things, but fundamentally, when it gets down to it, when it, when it's tested, when it's pushed into, it's just a, a it's just total superficial, commercialized, corporatized, standardized, lack of original, deadening wasteland type activity, behavior, material production, and. What this card is inviting us to do is say that, first of all, everybody can be creative. Anyone can do it. As the shamanic tradition says, everyone is an artist. Whatever you do, if you do it joyfully, if you do it with lovingness, if the act is not purely economical, meaning that you're giving, you're not trying to gain something. This is coming back to the the Bhagavad Gita of karma yoga, service to the world, I'm giving of myself. If there's something growing out within you and it provides this experience of growth, then something profound is being born within you. And there's a really wonderful little pamphlet called by, uh, Steps to Inner Peace, I believe, by the Peace Builder, about a woman who walked hundreds of thousands of miles with no, with no money, just giving of herself, walking for peace, and she would just be in acts of service. And she found that just to, she had no possessions. And I don't recall the whole details of the story, but she would go and do things for people and help people. And she would never ask for anything, just whatever was given, what she would take, including with food. And she said that, you know, her whole meditation was not what can I get, but what can I give? And I think that this is at the crux of what leads to a liberated life based off of my extremely limited understanding of what that even means. I would not claim (laughs) to understand what that means, have a liberated life, but from, you know, from my practices and studies and things, I've, it, there seems to be a reoccurring thread in the scope of, of spiritual and religious thought that, you know, to be in a place of giving of oneself to the God, to spirit, to others, towards the muse, the demurge, is something that leads us into a place of this creative climax, what this person is saying, where you live, you become in a tool of God, you know, a servant of God, but in the sense, you're not as a slave, but as a liberated voluntary being, one could say. And this is, I think, what we are really searching for. It's not people, people want to become artists, and if they want to become famous, they want money, then they're still caught up in, you know, that's obviously ego on on many levels, but also just the idea of, of wanting to gain something, approval, validation, love, respect. I mean, all of us want those things. Who doesn't want to be respected? Who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to be, you know, validated or recognized or acknowledged? That's just something fundamental. And on certain moments, it's that's acceptable. There's nothing wrong with that. But to be in a place where you're actually just like, you have, can already connect to that inside of yourself so deeply that it, it just doesn't matter what anyone says. It just, who gives a shit what anyone has to say about you? There's something inside that is so self-validating, that is so 
assuring there's a love and a connection within that doesn't require an external approval. And that's to connect to that and to create from that place, from a place of fearlessness, unapologetically, but, you know, with intention, because I, I think to, you know, you approach creativity from an unconscious place, then I think you lose the service aspect of it. But to do so unapologetically and to create from that place and to it just express what's inside of you. And, you know, maybe it is at certain moments a little raw and a little unpleasant at in a certain level. As we were saying, though, however, this is life is quite raw and unpleasant most of the time. And you could make an argument against that. But at the very least, some of the time, life is quite raw and unpleasant. And just to express that unapologetically, I think, provides a validation and an acceptance that few things other really can give credence towards. So what I mean by that is it's really easy to get to block painful and difficult things out from life that's just something that we have to do to survive and one of the funny things about people living in you know uh, in abundance socioeconomically speaking is that their nervous system is still wired to deal with being attacked by wolves but they're just sitting in front of a computer the whole day relatively speaking and so their nervous system is still sending them the same messages as if they're being attacked by the world. But the reality is that nothing's ever really going to happen in that respect, except for very, you know, freak occasions. And there's this, you know, there's this angst, existential pain that builds up in the person. And there's a constant need to block it out but there's no real environmental stressor at the same level there was perhaps when we were living in caves many hundreds of thousands of years ago and what becomes I think helpful is, is when we are able to step into that place of raw expression and express that pain and that angst and that fear of just of the mystery and the voidness of our being which I don't see as atheistic at all, as I, I see it more as connected with the Tao. But to express that, you know, coming from the ego that feels isolated and alienated, even if it's an illusion, according to Buddhist thought and other traditions, but to express that gives a sense of okayness with that and acceptance of that. But to, to not express it, you like, oh, I'm not going to express it, you know, I'm just going to go shopping at Macy's today. No, I'm not going to express it, I'm just going to go get a, some chicken finger fries at Burger King. No, I'm not going to express that, I'm just going to, you know, go to Home Depot. No, I'm not going to express that, I'm just going to go to Toys R Us or whatever. You know, we find these, these little ways to just avoid what's happening inside of us. 
And, you know, what's happening inside of us is deep. And the whole premise of what Joseph Campbell talked about in The Masks of God is that the way I have always looked at it is that his work in the sense is that the nervous system in the inner spiritual world of the human being has never changed. It's an eternal thing. It doesn't matter what culture the person came from. It doesn't matter what time period the person came from, what external environment it came from, what language the person spoke, what pain and what what mythology that they were embedded in. Because the inner world, the inner experiential world of the human spirit is an eternal thing. It's always there. It's unchangeable. So the only thing that we experience is different languages, different symbols, different stories that because of the consistent inner world across the spectrum all share a very, very overlapping similar thread in the journey back to to the true self, to the to the oneness, to the wholeness. All of these cultures share the same thing. Even though it looks totally different. So, you know, instead of there being like a whale god in the oceanic cultures, you might have like a lion god or a hippo god in Africa. And But the, the same process of, you know, going outside of the, the comfort zone, outside of the, the castle walls, outside of the herd, into a place of, you know, the dark forest, dismemberment, reconfiguration, healing with the mother, healing with the father, the divine flight, escape back to normal life, and then the re- restoration of the boon of, of sharing what was the, was uncovered in that period. These are all reoccurring throughout every culture. And th- this is something that's really Im- important to understand is that there is something you know, gnawing at us from deep within that wants to come forward. And there's some quote in the Bible that I think speaks to my life as much as anything ever has, which says, you know, if you do not bring forth what is inside you, what is inside you will destroy you. And I think this is what, you know, David Bowie is, is, is touching on when he says, you know, this is why the artist is kind of a freak. It's basically that the the inner unconscious psychic forces have risen up and they have begun this process of destruction on some level and not for everybody there's plenty of non-tortured artists out there but there is a reason that the artist is considered a tortured artist you know this is like an archetype right and the reason is because these forces have come up within that person and there's nothing they can do but express what is going on inside of them in spite of whatever the culture says don't do this don't do that blah 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 so that's why I think a lot of times Terrence McKenna says that culture is not your friend. It's not. It's just not your friend. And then someone asks him in a talk, well, what do we do? What is the, what's the antidote to that sickness? And he says, I think that by making art creation, and everyone applauds, but there's something there about we can't just take the models that are being imposed on us by the external world. We can't just be absorbing what's happening out there. We have to push on it. 
and when I say push, it's not it's not like a rebellion. It's not even a resistance necessarily. It's more like we have to push on our own conditioning patterns that have kept us locked in from creating something. We have to be willing to break outside of the norm and push against our habits and our linear locked way of seeing things and establish and create something new altogether that has not been experienced before. And this is something that all of us deep inside want to do. And it's amazing because we always validate people who do this, especially after they die. Once they die, they're just, wow, look at that person. Everyone loves that person. You know, everyone's celebrating Martin Luther King now, virtually. <laughs> but at the time, how many people thought he should have been killed? Hence why he was killed. You know, and in that case, you know, he you wouldn't necessarily look at him as like, okay, he was an artist, but he was in a lot of ways. He had a dream and a vision of what life could be in unity and togetherness and equality. And he, and he brought forth a creative act, socially speaking, because he wasn't into violence. It wasn't a destructive act. He faced the destruction. He faced violence, just like Gandhi did, through a place of positivity and creativity and union and transform things and we always look back and say oh like oh those that's the person i want to be like i want to be like that person i want to be like this person the people who actually do that you know they have to be totally crazy completely insane to do that because you're because you're immediately putting your place in a in, in a position where you're most likely you're either going to be killed physically or you're going to be you're going to be sacrificed on some level because you're taking the approach of not accepting what's happening around you and the powers that be don't like that powers that be are interested in control and the control is not even necessarily negative you know let's like expand our minds beyond that because i mean obviously the, the police system you know they want to have control of the way things are and there's a lot of bad things about the way things are. I think that's obvious for anyone who's tuning into this podcast. They're already aware of that. I mean, the military-industrial complex, racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, social inequality. There's obviously plenty of things that speak to the fact that the human family treats itself is is basically uh, <laughs> run by a it's like a totally decrepit household. We could just look at it like that. It's not a healthy, happy family. If, you, if it was a, if you were to approach it as like that's a nuclear family, you would see um, a highly abusive, addicted, psychotic, mentally insane father, and everyone else basically suffering from <laughs> that person's choice of actions and behaviors. So when. Uh, at the same time, though, you know, there, there are some there's some aspects of hierarchy and power that are, are beneficial. For instance, you know, I was talking I said the same thing on the last podcast about this idea. But um, there's something helpful about the fact that, you know, uh, only certain trained people are allowed to do certain tasks. 
Now I gave the example, you know, only firefighters have access to super high, highly powered hoses. A better, a better, simple, more example might be only the firefighter and the paramedic and the, and the police officers can just flip on lights and just drive however they want because it's an emergency. We trust that they're not doing it out of a selfish, egotistical preoccupation, you know, and they're not abusing something. They're doing it to, to provide safety for us. So we, we can give them that power to drive however they want on the road when they need to because they're in service towards us so when you are in service towards us we give you power you know and that's good that's we that's something that like you know from a really simplistic you know moral perspective it's good it's something it's beneficial for the whole we all support it there's no one out there protesting that police officers shouldn't be able or you know paramedics and police officers shouldn't be able to drive in the emergency lane with their lights on when there's you know car accident no one <laughs> last I checked I haven't seen that but obviously you know a lot of times these positions that are meant to be service positions just turn into complete power trips manipulation uh oppression and in the worst possible kind of ways and we all know this I mean I think that at this point the militarization militarization of the United States and the violence that has come out of it is no longer really a secret, although for some people it might appear that way who have managed to ignore, you know, the last, um, has it been 20 years <laughs> since 2001, September 11th and that kind of thing? You know, it's obvious that um, people exploit their service position for wealth, power, and use violence as a tool to enhance that. And so when you step outside of, of those boundaries that those people construct to enable them to be in a position of more power and disparity, then you become a target. So it's a terrifying thing to do to step outside of the confines. It's easier to keep silent and... To not speak up when you see something, to not express yourself when there's an injustice, to remain complacent with the status quo. It's easier to hide and pretend you don't have an opinion or to brush it off and distract yourself than to actually say and you know what is happening inside of you about the situation. And we've just been trained to to take signals from external authority as what the um, solution is to how to handle these things. The idea of the school bell is something that was established to help make students into good factory workers in the 1800s. Once they would leave school, they've already been conditioned like Pavlov's dogs to respond to a bell to work you know what's the point of saying the pledge of allegiance in school why do i need to pledge my allegiance you know all these things they're simple these are small simple things perhaps that most people have picked up on the preaching of the choir type situation but the reality is to understand of just like the thing we're getting at is do we don't want to absorb the environment we want to impact the environment but for us to really impact the environment and to do so in a way 
that is in alignment with our higher values of Satchit Ananda, something that leads us towards a place of liberation, we need to be in a position of service, of giving, of something growing within, and also to have a non-attachment to what form it wants to take, and to experience as best we can through this inner approach the rapture of ordinary life, which I personally think is something that is very unappealing to most people who seek out in a spiritual path. Most people speak at, seek out a spiritual path because they have grown fed up with ordinary life. And there's many stories of renunciation and all kinds of uh, approaches towards seeking out um, something in the beyond that it that blows apart the the ordinary world. And it's funny, you know, uh, there's a teacher, like, if I could pronounce his name correctly, Sri Nizgarata Maharaj, who wrote, he didn't write anything, actually, he just, his talks were recorded, I am that, and his entire teaching was based in self-inquiry, it's in the 60s, I think, in India, maybe a little bit earlier, even, he lived in the slums in Mumbai, and he came into a state of realization, and through his guru, who passed to him a phrase, just meditate on the phrase, I am that. I am that. That's it. Nothing else. He just said, okay. So he focused on that and it led him into a place of realization. And through this very long book of dialogue, he tr it goes on explaining it. And and just reading the book is in itself a a rapturous experience, one could say. It, it elevates your mind to a certain perspective that he was in. Not to the same perspective, but it elevates it towards that perspective. It brings you closer to what he was talking about. And just to read it, you can you can really experience within yourself that this person was in touch with something very profound, especially given that you're listening to a uh, cigarette maker in the slums of Mumbai, that to the depth of what he's expressing, obviously this person has touched something very special. And there was a moment after he experienced this realization that he decided to get up and go walk towards the Himalayas to become a renunciate. And somewhere along the lines, he just gave up because he realized there was no point in doing it because wherever he went, there he was. He was like, oh, okay, you know, he just went back to Mumbai and kept making cigarettes. <laughs> and I think there's something really uh, beautiful about that example because I don't know where you are right now. But I know within my own life, there's this aspect of myself that, you know, and I've been to the Himalayas and I've spent quite, you know, a, a decent amount of time up there. Uh, and there's a part of me that wants to go back up there and just, you know, I spent over, over a month in Ladakh, spent several months in Nepal's in Bhutan for a month, um, went hiking through Annapurna, uh, Spent a good amount of time, like in different pockets through the Himalayas. You know, visited a lot of different Tibetan Buddhist caves, uh, Hindu holy sites, um, just spots in nature that are just powerful. Like, whoa! And there's a part of me that just wants to go back there because you know you feel some sort of a connection and a force and a presence there due to the the profundity of the mountains and the architecture of the temples and the vibe of the people living there. But what is funny is that the teaching of Sri Nisgarata Maharaj and also many other traditions within the Tao and I think the Bhagavad Gita as well is, is you know, we're getting at that 
if you can't find God in the dumpster of trash, you will not find God in the Himalayas. And there's something about ordinary life, there's something about the mundane, when we just simply change our inner attitude, our inner approach, the quality of what we're bringing to the activity, that it no longer becomes an ordinary thing. And there's a saying in Zen that before Zen, mountains were mountains, streams were streams, were streams, trees were trees, rivers were rivers. Once I came in contact with Zen, I realized mountains were not just mountains, streams were not just streams, rivers were not just rivers, trees were not just trees. And now after practicing Zen, I realized that Mountains are still just mountains. Streams are just streams. Rivers are just rivers. Trees are just trees. And what I take away from that is, you know, when we are in our ordinary, conceptual, unawakened state of being, life is as it is. Yeah, there's a tree outside my window. There's a computer here. I'm looking at my phone there for the card. But then there's a moment of through the practice of the of the alchemical transformation where we are brought into the sat chit ananda of all situations of the being bliss and consciousness and the recognition of like the infinite vibrational reality interconnectivity union of all things and see past the appearance of separation perhaps we are fortunate enough to have an experience of some sorts of satori where we're able to see past our conceptualization and to step into this realization of the, the absolute mystery of life but then there's also a moment where we have to return, which is what Joseph Campbell talks about, the magical flight back home, where we do have to participate in the world and not just remain aloof, estranged, hiding somewhere, and welcome back to life. And so we know that life is not what it is, but at the same time, yeah, life is what it is. Okay, I mean, like, yeah, there's a tree right there. If that tree falls down, you just don't get out of the way. It will kill you. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, what this is getting at is that our inner approach towards daily life can bring on this transformation. And uh, my understanding from people like Nisgarata Maharaj is that this transformation can be permanent. And because what he's suggesting is that this place of experiencing life as the eternal is the only thing that there is. Everything else is an illusion. The, the illusion itself is, by its nature, unable to last. Uh, it's not something that is sustainable. At the same time, you know, there is these, there are these Buddhist stories that we've been at this for just for, forever. This, this has been one death and rebirth back into this situation over and over and over again. And that, how will we ever get out? And um, there is no clear. There, there is no simple way to just um, release ourselves. You know, it is a long process. But understanding that it is not done from uh, necessarily a mystical place, but that ordinary life can be the tool from the method from which you awaken from and you know back to this card it says it can be painting or singing planting a garden or making a meal just ordinary simple things the important things to open to what wants to be expressed through you 
that's what's important. What wants to come out of you? You know, and and that's really the the thing here also says the figure in this card is literally possessed by the creative force. And I think this is a, a key thing is how can we become a channel, a vessel for the spirit, for our own liberation and awakening and not let cultural conditioning, not let old stories, not let old patterns, emotional habits, addictions run our life towards something else to becoming self-serving to trying to fill up a hole inside that is infinite if the hole inside is infinite you can't fill it up but you sure as hell can bring forth more than you ever could possibly try to encapsulate if the hole is infinite you can't fill it up but you can bring infinite things out so i think what this card for today and the, the talk for today is a lot just about what direction are, is our momentum moving in from our heart center? Meaning, are we coming from a place of taking and the place of possessing and the place of solidifying and the place of hardening? Or are we coming from a place of giving, a place of perseverance of creating of loving of awareness and of spontaneity of flow this is our meditation for today what can come out of us not what needs to come into us and there's all kinds of tricks of the trade for opening more into that space if you are having a hard time doing so uh some of the simplest recommendation is really just a shift in perspective where we start to realize that what's difficult is not to paint, to make music, to cook a meal, to create some form of art. But what's hard to do is to put yourself in a position where you're sitting down to do so. Meaning once you just sit down at the location, things tend to open up and flow. What we experience oftentimes is just a resistance towards getting to that place where the flow can really start. And this has to do so much with just momentum and what direction we're moving in. So what's really encouraged is that if we're is to is to have the discipline and the trust that if we just sit down and make ourselves present at our canvas, whatever our canvas is, it doesn't have to be literally a canvas. That's something really beautiful, healing, and divine will come through with enough patience and perseverance and persistence. And how can we approach life from this place, not just something that is a technique? How can we approach all aspects of life from this perspective? And watch how that becomes a beautiful process of alchemical transformation within ourselves. And it is a struggle, which is why we come back to this idea that artist is always distra- artist is usually estranged or estranged or you know experiencing some form of alienation in society because this is a difficult position to find oneself in when everyone around you is a consumer. To create something is 
a frightening act. It's frightening to be free. <laughs> to really be free when you've been a slave your whole life is truly a frightening realization. And then how to act from that place, realizing that you can create and do whatever you want. You know, on some level, obviously, there's limitations that we experience in every moment, but how many of those limitations are self-imposed? How many of those limitations have been forced upon you by others? How many of those limitations have been guilt-tripped and shamed upon you? How do we uproot those belief systems? How do we become fearless to step fully into our own authenticity and power as a person and use that for the service of others and not just for those that are you know in the know in our vibe but all people how do we use that for the awakening of the most decrepit of people you know down to someone like hitler how do we hold that person in our heart because they're part of the puzzle how do we step into a place with more you know awareness as to how what we're doing will even be in benefit to them because if we suddenly just become anti this and anti that and against people and things from a from an inner place where there's a hardening the moment that hardening occurs we're blocking ourselves up so there's something that buddha said or attributed to the buddha who knows what the buddha actually said where this get become angry is like swallowing poison and expecting it to kill the other person so there's plenty of things to get angry about and it's fine but as soon as you recognize that that's poison it you realize it's not really worth it so it becomes something that you do need to work with and even if there's like we're saying a justifiable response to that kind of brutality or injustice in the world or inequality Yes, of course you need to be angry about it. At the same time, are you going to hold on to that anger? Are you going to use that anger to pollute your inner field even more so that you become a victim of that anger and you carry out your own version of oppression and brutality? Even if you don't act upon it externally, internally it's already acting upon you. Are you continuing to fuel and feed that cycle of abuse or are you uprooting it from its source from within your own heart and eradicating it so that you can bring forth a change and transformation to what's happening in the world and things that you're upset about and things that you don't want to see happen anymore. So choosing not to be a victim as to what's happening and choosing to make a difference by first making a difference by what's happening in your own heart you know, if we just go out and just unleash all the anger that we feel was placed there by society and we unleash the anger upon society, then we are an instrument and a servant of anger, of brutality. However, if we're motivated by the anger, as I know Gandhi was, as the Dalai Lama has expressed before, you know, where he said something like that, anger is a wonderful tool if put into compassionate action i heard that gandhi said everything he did was motivated by anger someone once said that and the idea is that if we can take this feeling of oppression of suppression of frustration and anger and pain and negativity and take it and 
channel it not into a destructive but a creative outlet and bring forth something that creates a healing outlet, then these oppressive forces have not taken victory over us. They've become instruments for us to utilize to empower us more, to help us empower others. And I think that this in particular has is an extremely difficult path to take because it requires so much consciousness. It requires so much awareness about how, you know, once you're starting to deal with these very intense forces, it's very easy to let them out in the wrong way and hurt the wrong people. And But if we can channel them into something for the benefit of other people, then wow, other people will start to notice. You know, this is constructing an inner revolution. And this is a lot of work, you know, this is not, because it's easier to just react. Here we're responding consciously. It's easier to react in anger, to anger with anger. You know, Eckhart Tolle talks about one pain body triggering another pain body, then you have two pain bodies. There's no real communication occurring. In this situation, we're going to respond. Yeah, we acknowledge that there is pain. And that, and that there's something even, it cuts even maybe deeper because on some level with these societal things, they're systematic, they're institutionalized, they're justified and they're upheld. And people oftentimes are just in the matrix, <laughs> but not voluntarily so. And so there's something about that maybe that, and then there are people that are constructing that matrix, right? They're, they're constructing, they're conniving plots to put certain people against each other and uh, find ways to conspiratorially, you know, construct things. And so th those two things are very infuriating. One, one is the person is totally ignorant, and that's frustrating. Then there's a person that's totally behind the scenes plotting. And then there's people in, from, you know, in between that spectrum. And there's something about that that's, I think, particularly frustrating. Um... But this is why it becomes important to utilize the creative potential with consciousness, with this also this understanding we were talking about last week that, you know, it's all part of it. And the most evil, manipulative, horrible person and behavior is part of the universe of Leela, of God playing with itself. And it's all part of the awakening process. And it's all something that's necessary to assist us towards becoming a more realized and activated thing being in the universe an instrument in service towards the divine so we need to constantly step back from our habitual reactions habits and tendencies behaviors thoughts and ideas and understand what it is that we need to do to align ourselves from a place of unity and compassion and forgiveness and respect and authenticity but also at the same time we don't need to we need to have boundaries we need to have there's a moment where in yielding in the in the practice that i was practice of yielding there's a moment where you do need to come forth in martial arts you know you defeat the opponent by yielding by uniting their utilizing their momentum against them 
that is how a at the, at the same time that doesn't mean that you know well for instance Christ has turned the other cheek right so so yeah you do turn the other cheek but I would say there's different approaches to it I don't want to create an absolute thing here because, you know, you have someone like, I'm thinking at the moment of the movie Gandhi where they have, towards the end of the movie, they just march towards these soldiers, eight people at a time and just get beaten down. Hundreds of them just get beaten down. And they know what's coming because they do it. Eight go, they are beat, beat the crap out of another eight go, they get the crap beaten out of them. It's like that. They're trying to get into this salt mine. So that's the definition of turn the other cheek. They're just walking into the violence and they know what's coming, but they're they're sacrificing themselves. They're giving of themselves for the transformation of society. They're saying that like, you know, I as an individual and my own individual pain, it I'm willing to to let go of the self and to embrace the suffering for the benefit of a larger cause. You know, there's something that's a heroic act cuz you're you're giving you're they're leaving the egoic self for the larger all right, so that's like, you know, literally definition of turning the cheek. And I heard criticism of Gandhi that he said that in the Holocaust that the Jews should have just thrown themselves into the concentration camps to invoke the humanity of the Nazis. You know, interesting perspective. He received a tremendous amount of criticism for that, obviously. Um, not something that probably a lot of people wanted to hear. But what um, I think, you know, with, with martial arts, for instance, you do yield, but I don't think you totally turn the other cheek and the martial arts you know certain practices are based in, in this Taoist chi philosophy about the, the the yin and yang nature of the universe this buddhist perspective of of unity and compassion and you know what is the nature of reality i, I think that these practices are designed to help us you know it's fighting but you know the universe in a lot of ways is a war as the bhagavad gita likes to express what i think that the they're trying to express through the martial art is that when your opponent is coming at you, you do need to yield, but then right action at a certain moment is to overtake your opponent. And you can overtake your opponent and force them into submission, not from a, and you don't, you can do so without being in a place of aggression or hatred or anger towards your opponent. And this is something I think that is very important meditation in spiritual practice is to understand this, is that you can overtake your opponent, not necessarily others, but just things in life, forces, forces in life that are undesirable, unwanted because of the suffering that they cause. You can overtake them from a place of compassion. And right action is actually dictating that you do overtake them. Because enough is enough. We've had enough of this. It needs to stop. You know, there's a moment to be extremely tolerant and just turn the other cheek and be... But there's a moment where being a victim of abuse is not... And an enable, enabling, you know, sickness is not what right action is calling upon. So, these are just interesting things to meditate with in our life about how when we go out into the world, how we are approaching things are we approaching things from an automatic spiritual perspective and this is what i was talking about in the podcast about idiot compassion oh i'm spiritual so i just take everything <laughs> abuse me and that that's not what we're what is being recommended there's a moment where you need to hold a very fierce boundary and push against something but it has to be done 
in alignment with the Tao, there's a moment where, yes, okay, you know. And at the same time, too, we can't lose that perspective of, like, what and who is fighting who. I have to go in a moment, so I want to just close up this talk, which I think is a good Zen story, Buddhist story that Ram Dass used to tell all the time, which I think is really insightful, where a samurai, warrior samurai, very ferocious, comes on a killing spree and goes to a monastery and finds the last Zen master, Buddhist monk, sitting there peacefully and... He goes, all right, monk, tell me about heaven and hell. And the monk goes, look at how fat you are. And the samurai raises up in anger and goes to kill him. And then the monk says, that's hell. (laughs) And the samurai goes, oh, and drops the sword and steps into a place of total realization and profound connection understanding that like oh my god you know how crazy i was and then the monk says and that's heaven and then at that moment the samurai bows before the monk's feet and you know because i am a spontaneous person i don't like to edit things um because for me these talks are really pot the stream that stream of consciousness and to not do it perfect is part of my nature um i just realized i shared the wrong buddhist story although that one is very profound and it teaches us something about you know heaven and hell are states of mind if we're afflicted by anger we're acting out of anger then we find ourselves in a hellish place where we'll kill we'll destroy things that are just peaceful we're so attached to a concept of ourselves that someone criticizes it we would commit a violent act you know and who is this self Where is this self, this concept? It's just a concept. It's a thought. Why are we so emotionally engaged with it in a way where our actions will be taken in a way that are just horrifically detrimental to ourselves and others? And then realizing that to be released from that is true. Heaven is peace, is to be released from this illusionary concept of ourselves. And that is a rapture. However, the story that I wanted to tell was, I can't even totally remember it, I don't think, but it's something along the lines of the samurai, let's say let's say that that was more just one chapter of the same samurai. Let's say now, let's get creative with the story. They're not different stories. It's the same guy, everybody, come on. So that was him at that stage. But then let's say he became disrespectful towards the teacher. His self-concept came back into place, and he was just like... I don't really see the point of any of this. He he just decides to leave. You know, he's going back to his old samurai ways. Maybe he goes to McDonald's. Who knows if McDonald's was around back then in medieval Japan. I don't know. And uh, he finds, he goes, he just goes back on a killing spree because he, he's back in his self-concept. And he decides to, he's, he's taken out all the monks except that one that he had gone to as a teacher. Something told him to wait. And he goes back to him. And at this point, that, that monk has heard about all the violence that has occurred. And everyone else in the monastery has fleed for safety, except for him. And he gets there and he goes, say, don't you know who I am? He says to the monk. 
all other members of your monastery have fleed? Do you not run for cover? Do you not know who I am? And then the monk goes, ah, yes. But do you not know who I am? I am the one who you could kill and swipe off my head and I would not flinch one muscle. And I think there's something beautiful about that story because it's the idea that that person has already let go on such a level. There's such a detachment that has occurred for that monk. He's in such a place of peace that has transcended the physical limitations of death. A place of acceptance of the moment, of whatever may come. That even violence from the most ferocious person, a former student in this case, I mean, that just adds insult to injury for most people, <laughs> would be, uh, is he's not affected by it. It's just another thing happening in the eternal moment. To be totally okay with whatever comes. And I... On the cover of... Rage Against the Machine's first album... There's the f famous image of the self-emulation of a Vietnamese monk... During the Vietnam War in protest. Where he's lighting himself on fire and he's burning. And, you know, think about that. The, the monk is able to remain totally still and light themselves on fire. You know, and how that, that image rippled out across the world as an outcry onto a CD album of a famous band. You know, I mean, just like, while I don't think suicide is ever highly... <laughs> I've never heard of any tradition that advises towards that whatsoever. In fact, I remember reading in the Tibetan tradition, there was a, a practitioner that went to the Dalai, Dalai Lama at old age asking if he could do a certain practice. And the Dalai Lama said, no, it's too old. You have to do it in another lifetime. It's just, it's your, your body won't be able to take it. And so then that practitioner killed himself in order to go to another lifetime so that he could practice this practice. This is a true story. And the Dalai Lama was feeling a lot of sadness about this. Um, that's, that being said, I've never heard of anywhere in any tradition. Suicide was always highly looked down upon in terms of rebirth or, you know, going to heaven or hell or if it's Christian or whatever. It's never looked upon positively. It's always looked upon as like a, wa a waste of a precious human life. Precious human rebirth. And the, um, nonetheless, this the self-immolation, you know, that's occurred in Tibet and Vietnam with monks lighting themselves on fire in protest of the political environment. I think there's something about the fortitude and the strength and the inner conviction and the the power of someone able to do that. At the same time, I don't know these people. I don't know what their inner state was as they did this. But there's something there to remain still and to do that. There's a conviction there that is established through a certain level of practice and discipline that I think is very powerful. And while I wouldn't encourage that as a creative act, that seems much more a destructive act. This is something that, you know, once the mentality of this non-attachment of 
giving of oneself? You know, how can we step into that place? Where we are surrendering to the spirit, but creatively so. So maybe this wasn't the perfect story to end on. I don't know, guys, but... The idea here is how can we become the director of our life, the producer of our life, the actor of our life, you know, and stop uh, being absorbing what's happening around us, but to participate with, you know, our own our own narrative, our own creative adventure, our own bliss, and to bring that forth as a transforming agent for society for the benefit of others. So a lot of stuff to meditate on here. Are we coming from a heart space of hardening or opening and flowing? Just things to meditate on. This has been a good time. Thank you guys for listening. Stay awake.